Good evening, everybody. Everybody doing good? See a lot of smiles in here? That's awesome. It's good to be together in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to go ahead and bring our praises and our prayers together in one voice, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. up in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all you do for us. Thank you for the blessings you give us. Continue to put a sense of protection over each and one of our members and our families, Lord. Empty our vessels with the worthy thoughts and fill us with the Holy Spirit. And be with us today while we listen to your word and we enjoy the fellowship that we have with you. In Jesus' precious name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, brother.
times and bad times you're with me you're faithful in sickness and trial you're with me you're faithful in triumph and blessing you're with me you're faithful your mercies abounding you're with me you're faithful in strength for my weakness you're with me you're faithful in all my temptations you're with me you're faithful thank you that you are faithful. Your Lord, your word declares that you are faithful because you will not deny who you are. And we thank you so much, Lord, that you are our rock. Lord, you are the strength. You are the foundation that we cling to. Lord, we just declare you God and Savior tonight. We love you so much. In this time of desperation, what we all know is down and There is only one foundation We believe We believe In this broken generation When all is dark you help us see There is only Christ, we believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion, we believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection, and He's coming back again.
Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection.
Jesus is Lord. Lord. Great are you. Great are Jesus. Jesus. We praise your name tonight, O oh Lord.
Yeah. 
I pray for every family member represented here today by proxy through the body. And Lord, I ask that you would touch them. And if they do not know you, that they would come to know you in a mighty way, Lord. I pray that we would not shun away from opportunities to share the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the fire and the spirit that we need in that moment, that opportunity, Lord. We just pray that your fire would come upon us and give us the strength we need. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter who we think we are, we belong to you. And we thank you for that. And we rejoice. Prepare our hearts for your word, Lord. Prepare. Thank you for the speaker, Lord. And we just thank you so much for this place. In Jesus' name, all God's men and women said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, welcome, everybody. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Uh, I want to say a special welcome to any visitors here tonight. If this is your first time, you're welcome here. And for all those that are faithful to this ministry and to this service, welcome to you as well. You're welcome here. Praise God. Before we uh, bring up our brother to uh, pray and to uh, um, bring our praise reports as well, um, I want to bring a quick verse here. Psalms 122 verse 1 says... I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen? That I believe that wholeheartedly, brothers, I rejoice in that verse because it's one of the amazing things that we're allowed to do. We get to come together and praise God and worship him and uh, have church. So let's, let's have some church. Let's invite our brother Jimmy up. He's going to uh, uh, do some praise reports and some prayer requests. Welcome, brothers and sisters. Uh, looking around, there's a, a few people I haven't seen before. Um, and I know some of you haven't seen me before. Um, I'm Jimmy. Um, as you know, I've been the one you guys have been praying for. <laughs> um, I, met a few, I met a few people last week. I'll try, to, I'll try to keep this really short, uh, although at some point I'd like to give a little testimony later, uh, later sometime. But I um, just want to say thank you. I appreciate the prayers, all the help that you guys have given me. Um, I'm a walking answer to prayer, right? Um, this, this woman up front, I love your spirit, dancing in, in the front row. I love that. Um, Forgive me, I'm a little tired from standing. Like I've never, I haven't stood that long in like three months. So I just, I just want to say I really appreciate you guys. Um, my brothers in Kingman, um, brothers in Cook, I know they've all been praying for me. Uh, earlier I was with Deb and a few brothers from church and um, Deb saw it fit that I'd be up here today and doing prayer and Praise reports. Uh, I'm a walking praise report. You know? uh, just maybe three weeks ago, I was so weak, just sitting, sitting on the couch. And just within these last two to three weeks, um, I'm gaining a lot of strength. I gained 20 pounds back. Like, I'm just stuffing my face, getting, getting stronger. And, um, <laughs> and I, I got to stop eating now. Um, I'm so nervous being up here, too. 
Um, but my excitement it overcomes that. I'm just so excited to see what God is doing to my body as a result of all your prayers. I really appreciate that. And it was a very strong spiritual time for me because it allowed me to grow in a lot of areas. One thing I do want to say, guys, and leave you with is uh, God's going to allow us to face challenges, and he always seems to um, put adversity right in our face. And I just pray that we all just have, when, the, when those things happen, just to look at it spiritually and to, to never say, like, like the world would say, like, why me? You know, but to always have a, a heart attitude towards God and just say, God, what are you doing in my life today? What are you choosing to do in my life today? You know, because this, this growing helped me, and a testimony is going to help others. Deb's testimony years ago has helped me through this process. So I want to give a special thanks to Deb, my father who was there a lot for me. They were, they were there the most along with your guys' prayers. So can we just give Deb some praise? And I just thank, I just thank all the thoughts. All the thoughts and the prayers and the time that was dedicated um, and my respects. Thank you so much. So with that, uh, do we have any praise reports? Let's start there. Praise reports. Okay, we all have a praise report on our hearts, guys. Um, another thing, I just wanted to add to what I said earlier. When God faces us with cha challenges or adversity, um, you know, just, just say, God, what are you choosing to do in my life today? And just be faithful knowing that God has a purpose in everything that he's, he allows. Okay? Um, so I know there's a purpose for, for what I had to go through. And I'm glad you guys were here to go through that with me. Uh, so if there's no more praise reports, we'll go to prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in the name of the one that you sent as a sacrifice for our sin, in the name of the one that sends us the Holy Spirit, that we may, that we may live a life focused on you. In that great and powerful name, Father, we come to you this day. Thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for the food that we eat. We thank you that the shelter, for the shelter that you give us, all your provisions over us, over our family, over this church. We just ask you to bless this church, Father, and that you would incline your ear to the prayers and the petitions and the requests that we had today. Those that were unspoken, you can read our hearts. And we thank you so much that you are faithful to hear us and to listen. And we thank you already for what you will do as a result of these prayers. Uh, we ask you that you would bless the speaker, that you would fill them with the spirit that we only hear uh, what you allow us to hear, Father. And that we would take that word and that it would be so much in our hearts that we would always focus our walks and our attention on what you have for us, Father. And again, we just ask you for, blesses, for blessings on this church and ask you to allow us to grow even more. So, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Father, we thank you. We love you because you loved us first. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I love it when uh, a church gets to pray together because you can feel the Spirit moving, and it's always so amazing, and I just really, really love that. 
Um, as we get prepared to uh, ask our brother Mark to come, I just want to remind you guys that there's opportunities, more opportunities than this day to fellowship. You have an opportunity. We have a, a wonderful Bible study on Monday. We have a, a prayer service on Tuesday. And if you want to come and get involved in that, you haven't been involved in that before, ask somebody. We'll tell you the schedule and we'll tell you how to get here and come and join us. So get involved. Um, this is a great church and we love to fellowship. Amen? Amen. Uh, Brother Mark, would you please come and uh, bring us the word? We'll do a mic check. Is it on? All right. <laughs> Where's Mike? <laughs> I should I should have told you. I, I give thanks because Mike came over and helped at the house this morning, and that was a real blessing. We had some time of fellowship and marching around, getting wet and dirty, and it was kind of fun. Um, I, I need to do one more thing here. I need to turn that on. All right. So, the title of this is... No, Who are you really? The chance meeting that wasn't. You know, we all, we know, we all know this story. And um, it's, it's a familiar story that we're going to look at today. But I'm hoping that we're going to see some maybe unfamiliar things in it. Uh, I've really appreciated Seku's messages because... We've been learning just a bit about who we are and what we're able to do because of the work that Christ has accomplished. And he's reminded us over and over again that God has done something and he's created us to be something and he's called us to something and our job is just to walk in those things that he's already enabled us to do. And that's been a pretty faithful message. We've also been looking at how our thinking can hinder us from walking as the new creation that Christ created us to be. Now, we're going to look at this familiar passage from which I hope we'll learn a few things that we've overlooked, minimized, or never thought of. And I don't know if you've ever been involved in those conversations where you think you know what's being discussed, but after a while it becomes clear that you and the other person are talking about completely different things. I know I have. And comedians know all about this too. Um, for years I've heard little things in their routines about these mismatches in communications. And there are really some absolutely hilarious ones. One that comes to mind is the, the routine about who's on first, right? Uh, Abbott or Costello asked, I, I just really want to know who plays for the who plays for the St. Louis team? And Costello replies, well who's on first, what's on second, and I don't know who's on third. And then they go through this whole stick where they're, they're miscommunicating, you know. One guy is telling them who is on first, and the guy goes, that's my question. Well, we're going to see a little bit of that 
and what we have today. Um, then there's that movie Courageous. I don't know how many of you have seen that movie Courageous, but there's this scene where a fella named Javier, he's lost his job and, he, and he's been turned down for another job. He got there maybe a couple minutes late. And he's walking home and he's praying to God, God, would you... I need to feed my family. We have bills to do. The rent's due. And I don't have, you know, he's, he's having this conversation. And then out of the blue, as he's walking down this alley or road or whatever, almost immediately he hears his voice and he's calling his name. Javier, come on over here. And he's, he's looking around. Who's calling my name? What, what's up with this? And... He's got this really puzzled look on his face as he walks up this driveway to this guy that's calling his name. That he has no idea who this guy is. Well, over the next little bit, we find out that Adam, who's the guy who's called this Javier, thought that he knew who Javier was. But we find out that the Javier who was walking down the street is not the Javier that Adam thought he was. And Javier has been working for Adam now for a little while when Adam discovers, while he's meeting with his friends at a little, a little diner, he, he discovers that this is not the Javier that I thought. And who is this guy, you know? So he flies off to his house to find out who this scurrilous fella is that's been calling himself Javier. And he gets to his house and they have this discussion. He says, Adam asked Javier a bunch of questions. What is your name? Javier, who told you to come and work here? You did? Have you, have you been to the hospital recently? Uh, no. Then there are these puzzled looks on their faces and Adam finally says, I'm confused. Javier then clears up the whole situation by saying the one thing that he knows is that he's been praying, he was praying for work, which he really needed for his family. And Adam suddenly called his name. Adam was God's answer to Javier's prayer. Scripture is full of these examples where God's instructing men and women that they and they completely miss what God is saying. Part of this is because they don't have ears to hear and eyes to see what God is presenting. And God is fully aware of that. And there's this communication gap that we read it and we kind of go, well I wonder if God, I wonder if God knows about this problem. The answer is, well yeah, he does. Well, we're going to look at one of these instances and see what we can learn from Jesus' interaction with a woman. And as we do, as I always say, think about how this scripture is teaching you, reproving you, correcting you, and training you on how to be the person that he has created you to be. So let's orient ourselves to the scripture our lesson comes from. We're in the Gospel of John, 
and the author is the Apostle John, a Palestinian Jew, who is known as the Apostle who Jesus loves. John wrote five of the 26 books in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then finally, while he was exiled on the island of Patmos, many years later, he received some visions while there which allowed him to write what we call Revelation, or some call it Apocalypsos. I think is that how, how you say that. John's Gospel, though, is different than the other three Gospels. The other three are called the Synoptic Gospels. They kind of revolve around the same thing. But John's is a little different. He uses a lot more symbolism. And he, he dwells on this aspect of love. He, he really wants us to understand that God is love. That Jesus is love. And he continues to, to push that through. Um, and this symbolism that he uses, there's a whole bunch of it. When you think of the words of light and dark, bread, water, shepherd, lamb, he uses all of those to illustrate who Jesus is and part of Jesus' character. The main theme of John's Gospel is that Jesus is the promised Messiah and through faith in Him, man can have eternal life. We'll see that theme coming out in our reading today. While John himself was a Palestinian Jew, he writes in a way that brings non-Jews into the gospel. And here's a thought for us. Sometimes we as believers forget that we can often use this coded language that we can understand, but other people don't. It's like lawyers always using Latin and all this coded stuff, and nobody understands what they're talking about except for the other lawyers. We as Christians can do the same thing, and it can be a problem when we're trying to tell them about the Savior of their souls. Amen? Unlike us, though, John assures that whoever's reading this will understand what is being said, whether they're Jews, Gentiles, Romans, or even folks in Arizona in 2023. So before we look at John 4, let's review what happens before our text. Remember that John's theme is that Jesus is the Messiah and through faith in him, man can have eternal life. To that end, John uses a series of events in chapters 1 to 3 to show us who Jesus is. In the first part of chapter 1, he's really direct. John tells us that Jesus is the creator of everything. If you study this first little bit of John 1 deeply, you'll find that how John wrote this pointed out to his Roman readers that Jesus is the Logos, which they interpreted or understood to be the creator of everything. The initial before there was anything else creator of everything. And remember, they had a pantheon of gods. They understood that before that was, there was something else. And so, in the very onset of this 
we have statements by John declaring to his readers that Jesus is God. And it's unmistakable the way that he presents it. <clears throat> then there's um, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, he testifies about who Jesus is, calling him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's again a reminder of the work that Jesus came to do and would accomplish on the cross. Then we get a look at Jesus calling the disciples, followed by the miracle of the wine at the wedding feast, which again points out who Jesus is. That's followed by Jesus cleansing the temple, his father's house, and how he knows what's in men's hearts. That kind of sets him apart from every other man, because Chris, while you're smart, I don't think you know what's in my heart. And I don't know what's in Raymond's heart. But Jesus knows what's in each one of our hearts. He knows our thoughts. And that is something that we would do well to remember. Then we're treated to an inside look at Nicodemus visiting Jesus secretly. Nice that Jesus could confront even the righteous leaders and point out to them who he is. And next, we hear a summary of the gospel, the best summary of the gospel that's ever been given. You know what I'm talking about. John 3, 16 through 18. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There is a concise summary. It's that repetitive over and over again that we see it in John's Gospel of who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what the result is. Closing out John 3 is the account of John the Baptist, showing, what is, showing us what it looks like to have true humility. When John's disciples came to him attempting to incite him and make him jealous about how many people Jesus was baptizing, as if this was a competition, John instead gives Christ the glory he deserves. That brings us to our text in John chapter 4. We're going to read 1 through 26. And I think that we should expect that John the Apostle will continue to inform us about who Jesus is and why he came. As we read, I want you to pay close attention to the repeated words, well, water, drink, thirst, and worship. Guess which one is repeated most often? Hmm? Worship. That's the word that is repeated most often in this text. And there's a reason why. So, let's stand as we read our text. All right. 
Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away into Galilee. He had passed through Samaria, so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Joseph's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink! For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, mm, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you, you have correctly said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are now with is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, oh, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all the things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Pray. Father, as we look into your word, as we think about the words that we have just read, enlighten our hearts, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to, speak, to see, 
help us to understand and give us wisdom. We just exalt you in Christ's name. Go ahead and have a seat. So, let's see here. If I press this button, I think there are four things in this familiar story that we may have missed before. And here are the four things. The first one is it's all about listening to the truth. The second one is it's about the future of eternal life. Third one is it's about satisfying our thirst. And lastly, it's all about worship. So starting off with the first one, it's about listening to the truth. The woman at the well thought she knew what was going on. She was just there doing a chore. It was something she did every day. But she really wasn't in the listening mode. If, if you read through that and, and, and try to hear the way that she's saying things, there are some times where she's trying to deflect. Like when Jesus said, you've had five husbands. Oh, let's change the subject to something else. Let's, let's go to a religious discussion. Right? I want to I debate something. She was in the, for, for quite a bit of this, what's in it for me mode. I want that water. I don't want to come here anymore. How else do we explain some of those questions that she's asking? Why do you talk to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. Why do you ask me for a drink? Why do you worship in Jerusalem? Are you better than Jacob? Give me this living water. Those are not the questions of somebody that's looking for an answer. Those are ones that are kind of provocative, right? And kind of argumentative, I think. She's not unusual, though. She can be just like we are. She's walking in the flesh. She's an adulteress. She's an outcast from society. She comes to the well in the middle of the day when nobody else is coming. They come in the morning or in the evening when it's not so hot out. I mean, who wants to work on the roof when it's 118 degrees at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? Other than me. I mean, I'm just saying. So, can you, can you relate to how she is troubled by her lot in life? Can you hear that coming through in what she's saying? She's disturbed. I've got to come here every day, in the middle of the day, and people are judging me. You know anybody else that's like that? You can't go to Walmart in the day. You have to go at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> right? You've all been there and you've all heard these kinds of things. The truth is, she needs life. She needs water. So she comes alone to get what she needs. She needs the gift that God gave Jacob when he got that well. You might remember that Jacob had a brother Esau and Jacob was a scoundrel. I mean, he was a scoundrel. And he... You know, he's got a big bunch of folks and, and lots of property, meaning camels and cows and goats and all that stuff, and servants. And then Esau is kind of comes in he's in the same area, and eventually they recognize that they can't both be in the same place. Well, Jacob has a well. That, a well in the middle of the desert. What is that? That's life. That is life. 
<laughs> That's her physical need. John uses symbols to drive home his point. She knows that physically she needs water, but she gives no thought to her spiritual needs. The fact that the Samaritans and Jews worship in different places and won't associate with one another hasn't escaped her notice. In fact, you might say she tries to engage Jesus in this debate about theological issues here. Who's right, Jesus? Is it here or there? What's the real scoop here, Jesus? She engages in a discussion about man-centered religious issues very easily. They affect her and her people. Yet, Jesus doesn't go there. He flips the script with questions about man-centered stuff to heart-centered stuff. Remember, John is teaching us who Jesus is, the Savior of the world. So John uses water as a symbol for the Holy Spirit dwelling in the one who has eternal life. <coughs> Jesus is calling her to consider her eternal spiritual needs. She needs the life that only Christ can give. But in her mind, she just wants to catch a break and get a tap installed in her kitchen so she doesn't have to schlep the water to and from her house every day. But Jesus knows she needs something greater than that. She needs salvation and the Holy Spirit to guide her walk every day. So while Jesus is talking about the spiritual life, she's focused on an easier life with less work and more free time. She's thinking about leisure. You know anyone like that? <laughs> seeing them in a mirror lately? I keep seeing that guy in the mirror in my house, and I, and I gotta tell you, it's really disturbing. <laughs> Jesus always gets to the truth, though. He knew that the Pharisees were thinking and planning, so he left Judea. He knows the woman was an adulteress and she needed the truth. So he made time to call her. He knew the woman wanted to debate superficial religious dogma, but she needed a heart transplant and an eternal living water card from the Holy Spirit Unlimited. You see that mismatch through their conversation. And at some point, Jesus always brings us to where we can see ourselves in what he's saying. He reveals the truth about ourselves. And when he got to that point of saying, you have five husbands, and the one you're living with is not a husband. That was a confrontation. It sounds nice enough. And she understood what it was because the next words out of her mouth are not about that. Well, you're a prophet. Let's talk about this religious issue. Hmm. We'd never do that. The truth is that Jesus comes and speaks to us in our trials and temptations. Thank you for pointing that out, Jimmy. You, you were right on. You were right on in what you said earlier. He comes to us in the repetitive, mindless chores of life. The truth is, 
though, that we fail to hear him because our focus is on the physical. We lose sight of eternity looking at the earth and all it contains. James has a really pointed way of saying it. It's the Apostle James, not you, James. <laughs> James says it this way. We lust and do not have because we focus on the wrong place and we end up craving what we do not need. Jesus spoke the truth when he said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or when Solomon instructs us, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the spring of life. Notice that Solomon, too, also uses water as a symbol. This truth begs that we ask ourselves, what is our heart focusing on? Are we looking to Jesus for an easy life where we get what we want now? Or are we listening to his call to daily take up our crosses and follow him? Uh, well, I'm meddling now. <laughs> but the reality is, you see, that Jesus is not interested in making our here and now easier. He wants our hearts, our minds, and our souls. He wants us to think on the reality of eternity rather than on the propensity <coughs> prefer panaceas in the present. Where's your peace over there? We really don't need more stuff, more pleasure, more escapes, more experiences to feel fulfilled. We need to dwell on what we have in Jesus. We have peace, joy, love, patience, long-suffering, self-control, eternal life, and the Holy Spirit. We have living water. Out of the abundance of these dwelling in our heart, we will walk in the newness of that life that hails from a renewed mind transformed by Christ. These are what Christ brought to us when he vanquished death's sting on the cross. The truth is, he paid the price to buy us out of bondage in sin's slave market, to bring us abundant life eternally. That's the truth that we are to dwell on and are called on to share with others. That's the truth that will transform our daily living. It also was meant to transform her daily living. So we've looked at the fact that Christ came to expose the truth. Now let's look at the truth that it's about the future. So while conversing with Jesus, the woman is thinking only about her situation now. She has to slog this water every day in the heat of the day. That's her daily trouble. If we follow the conversation from her perspective, she constantly dwells in the present. Even when considering religious issues, she grounds the discussion in the present. And we do the same. We spend our day thinking about the stuff of the day, or the very near term, we look for solutions and satisfactions in the here and the now. Unless you're different than me. Maybe you're all different than me. I, you know, that's, I have this issue. Because this is the human horizon. But notice, it's not God's. 
Look at how Jesus tries to transform her thinking. If you knew the gift of God, you would have asked him, and he would have given you, notice, and he would have given you living water. It's a, it's a shadowing of who he is. But she is stuck on the physical plane and won't budge. Her reply, give the living water to me now. He's speaking spiritually and she's speaking literally, physically, in the now. Later, Jesus refers to the water springing up to eternal life. He's calling her to what she can't fathom. She can't get her head out of the challenges of today. She's looking for solutions to her heart cry for today. Excuse me. And we do the same thing. Aren't we satisfied to think through thoroughly about the stuff in the here and now and dwell about how we can influence and control it? How often do we worry and fret over what's going to happen and the big problem, trial and tribulation and the temptation that we are faced with at the moment? These are all evidences of being constricted by the python of the present. What if instead we ruminated on the truth that the one who saved us promised us an eternity with him? and gave us His Spirit to dwell within us today, now, in my trial, in my temptation, in my problem with, that I'm dealing with with some other person or with some other group or with some other institution. Shouldn't we live in the reality of that promise? Of those truths? Including the promise to give us wisdom? Shouldn't those thoughts captivate us and control our thoughts and our heart? Jesus sought to free this woman's captive heart and show her the eternity that awaits. He gave her evidences that he was not just another man. He knew her. And he knows us too. Raymond, he knows you. Art, he knows you. Kevin, he knows you. John, he knows you. Abel, he knows you. He knows all about you. And he knows all about me. And he's told us that he's purchased a future for us that began the moment of our salvation. Our accepting of his invitation to be covered by his propitiation, his full sacrifice that paid our debt. And he is here now to perfect that future today as you walk with him in his ways. And we call that sanctification. For most of us, though, there are impediments to walking in this truth. And it's rooted in our hearts. And it spills out from our speech and in our walk. Because we have a hard time focusing on the truth. And instead, we focus on our problems, which we think are too big or too, too something.
So, we've looked at the fact that Christ came to expose the truth and considered that it's about the future. Now let's look at the challenge of satisfying our thirst. Okay. I think, yeah, it's about the future and how it's about satisfying our thirst. All right. Jesus uses the word thirst here. Think for a moment about what results from thirst. We drink. In fact, when it's hot and dry outside, we need to drink. It's not a desire, it's a need. <clears throat> we must satisfy our thirst. We must slake it. Yet, Jesus isn't just revealing that common truth here. Instead, we need to understand the spiritual implication of what he's telling the woman. The truth is that thirst is a physical reality that must be satisfied. There are other physical things that our body craves as well. Addictions result from those cravings, which can never be satisfied. <clears throat> and yet they're the object of our desires. And Jesus knows this. Addictions keep returning when we dwell, when we think on them, when they reside in our heart. But what if we had something that truly satisfied? What if there's something that once we had it, it would satisfy all our desires? We would be, cont we would be content like a baby suckling on its mother. That is what Jesus is offering this woman. And all who readily... And all who read John's Gospel, that's us. Jesus is offering eternal life, abundant life, life without regret, life without guilt, and full of joy. What Jesus gives in salvation is a heart transplant and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> it's not a one and done. It's an every day, at all times of the day, in every situation, in every 24-7. He's there. The Spirit is there with you. When the woman wants the water, now, mind you, Jesus again moves her from the here and now to the spiritual truth. He reveals to her that he knows about her. He doesn't reject her. Sometimes we can feel rejected because we say, oh, I'm guilty. I'm dirty. People don't like this. I can't bear the thought of being looked at in that way. But Jesus knows us, He sees us, and He looks right through that to our hearts. In that while we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. That word propitiation. He became the payment for my sin and took away the shame of being able to stand in the presence of God because Christ has covered us. Amen? Amen. <laughs> she, she rightly identifies him as someone who speaks for God. She's heard about the Messiah, but thinks of that as a religious question, which is up for debate. That's in the future, she thinks. But Jesus brings her right back to the truth. He is the Messiah, and he offers eternal life today completely changing her future and our future. You don't have to wait to understand spiritual truth because the author of truth has brought it to you today and gives you his spirit to continue bringing it to you 
forever. Consider that Jesus is, didn't do it with just her. He gave us this so that we could understand that He's doing that with us today. Do you hear Him and the Spirit speaking truth to you daily? Or do your thirsts, your cravings for the stuff of today drown out His wisdom and His instruction? The little talk that Jesus is having with the woman was an invitation to think differently. He invited her out of her bondage to the present and into the freedom of eternity. And he does the same with us and with our neighbors and with those who oversee us every day. Thinking differently starts by listening to what God is whispering to you. It means stopping thinking like a man in bondage to this life and flying into the freedom afforded by seeking first the kingdom of God. We do this by seeking God in prayer, by meditating on His Word as revealed in the Scriptures, and by yielding to His call to walk in His ways. We won't find eternity by meditating on our present or pondering our past. Panting for pleasantries in the present precludes permanent peace and perfection. <laughs> just, just remember that. <laughs> so, what's your thirst? That's the question you should be asking. What's your thirst? There's nothing in this world that can meet your deepest heart thirst. Nothing. Only Jesus can do that. He has made reconciliation with God on our behalf through His payment of our sins on the cross. He is the Messiah, the King, who brought His kingdom to man. She wanted to debate, and He came to settle the matter once and for all, as Jesus told her and us. I who speak to you am He. He is the One. There is no other. Another verse in John, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Yeah, that's the one. Jesus is that. And more. Trust Jesus to satisfy your soul. Think on Him. Ask for wisdom. Crave Him and His instruction on how to live abundantly and joyfully. That is freedom. Anything else it's just a spurt which, is a, which evaporates and is gone like vapor in the wind with no lasting satisfaction. Okay, we've looked at three things. We've looked at, it's about listening to the truth, he's, that we're invited to an eternity, and that he satisfies our deepest desires. The last one is, it's all about worship. And remember I said, that's the word that's repeated most often in this text. Chapter 3 ends with this problem that the John's disciples come in with. Jesus is making more disciples than you. Well, chapter 4, the Pharisees, they now know about it. And their problem is that that fact 
represents that Jesus is having authority and he's having recognition and, and he's usurping them. They're jealous. And you see, it's pride. And that pride results in jealousy. <laughs> and we, we humans know all about that. You know why? Because we want to be winners. We want to be at the top of the heap. We want to associate with winners. Every sports team knows the psychology. They hype up folks for every contest. Telling you to show the colors, support your team, send a message to the opposition, and all this other hyperbole that goes on and on and on. And it was no different back then. What I think we should get, though, is that when we get our skin in this game, it reveals our pride. Not a pride in doing the right thing, but the kind that wants to be seen front and center. It exalts our flesh and puts us on the throne. This is the pride that God has repeatedly said, I hate, and he will not tolerate. Old Testament, New Testament, same message, over and over and over again, it's there. God hates the proud. That's a strong, that's strong. The Pharisees dined on pride souffles, often according to the scripture. So did James and John at times, and, and Peter, and, well, hmm, me. Oh, that's right. And I suspect maybe some of the rest of us do the same thing. When we exalt ourselves, we are saying that we are worthy of worship. Not just are we saying that to ourselves, but we're saying it to others, too. We're inviting others to invent, in, inviting them to enter into our sin. At the close of chapter 3, we see John the Baptist knew how to confront this in his life. He exhibited humility. I am not worthy to untie his shoelace. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He who comes from above is above all. John Instead of entering into this, I'm not making as many, but baptizing, that's he says, it's all about Jesus. And these statements that he makes reveal an understanding that he understood who Jesus is, and his heart was set on worshiping him. Jesus, because he is God in the flesh, that's what the word incarnate means. It's not a carne asada, it's a God incarnate. Okay. He is alone worthy of our worship. This is what Jesus told the woman at the well. A time is coming when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. It is true that Jesus is the Messiah. It is true that he is God. It is true that he deserves worship. It is untrue that we can sit on God's throne and are in any way worthy of worship. It is untrue that we can desire satisfaction through our cravings for the pleasures of this life, for knowledge, for experiences, 
or any other stuff that our culture has decided is the big thing. All of these are just a part of the big lie which reaps harsh consequences in our life and our relationship with God if we believe that we are worthy of any worship or that any other man is worthy of our worship. When we begin to usurp the Lord by making an idol out of ourselves or something we crave, it reveals our heart. It's our heart speaking its abundance. It reveals the wickedness that's dwelling there. And a heart ruled by wickedness is prone to walk in unrighteousness. God instead calls us for us to walk in Him, with Him, in the power of the Holy Spirit and submit to God's way of doing things. That's what worshiping in the Spirit is. Knowing God's thinking as revealed in His Word, that's what transforms our mind and allows us to walk in His ways. When we understand who we are in light of who He is, we can delightfully be humbled, as John was, and exalt Him instead of ourselves. Earlier I said that worship was the most repeated word. That's important because repeated words are the important words. There's nothing more important than worship of God. Jesus says that we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And He didn't say what mountain it had to be done on. It's whatever mountain you're on. It's wherever you're at, whatever time of the day. In the middle of the night, middle of the day, in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your temptation, that's when you worship Him. So reflect on the practical ramifications of this. If I'm dwelling on satisfying my fleshly cravings, my mind is not worshiping Christ. It is worshiping the thing that I'm craving. If I'm fulfilling desires of the flesh from which God has said are sinful, I am disobeying God and dishonoring Him with my rebellion. I cannot worship God when I'm in this condition. If I spend my time thinking up ways to satisfy myself without calling out to God, I am worshiping myself and have forgotten God's call on my life. I know I'm meddling, but I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to me. Because I have a lot of experience with this stuff. I am sorry to say. David, in his psalm of repentance, Psalm 51, he reminds us of what it takes to worship God. He said, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. These are the evidence of a heart turned toward the giver of living water. A heart transformed and turned toward the satisfier of our souls. It's one that seeks Him and recognizes that He is worthy of our thoughts, our being, our worship, our pleading for help. There's nothing else in this world which can take its place. Not in the physical, not in the fantasy of our mind, 
There's nothing that can satisfy our thirst, our longings, our desires. There's nothing that we can conjure up or put in our hands that will bring us into the eternity of blessedness. Only Jesus can do that. And that's why Jesus said to the woman and to us, I who speak to you and he. And he's the only one, the only one that can do that. So in conclusion, <clears throat> we've looked at a few things, but we've barely scratched the surface. We've covered those four things. It's about listening to the truth. It's about the future, and it's about eternal life, about satisfying our thirst, and it's all about worship. These are the same things that will transform our lives, not just hers. Jesus is the heart of worship. He is the center of eternal life. And as such, we need to transform our thinking from that which constrains us to Him. We need to worship Him and exalt Him in our hearts. That is the way we'll find the living water. That is the way that we will walk in His ways. And that is the way that we'll find everlasting joy. And with that, Kevin is going to lead us in a familiar but unfamiliar song, the heart of worship. So let's stand and join in with this. When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to break. Something that's a word that would bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it When it's all about you You 
search much deeper within Through my many failures You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry
before we dismiss tonight, and I see cake next door, which means that somebody is turning 25. I, I have a closing comment and a question. The question is, who remixed the song over here? Who is the Christian Puff Daddy that went and remixed the song? That's pretty good. Um, that's really good because it does make you think when we sing about the heart of worship and where we took it the song is powerful but this makes it extremely personal it gets in your business because everything that was on that board we can all go yeah that's me yeah that's that's me and that one's me too and that yeah that's me yeah and so this isn't to cause you to feel shame and to turn around and go you know what i'm just i'm just a poor miserable creature uh there's things that god is wanting to eliminate out of our lives so we don't have to be poor miserable creatures that we can be the sons and daughters he called us to be and so when he brings this to our attention it's not to go crawl under a rock but to turn around and say lord i see that and i repent i see that Help me to change my heart. One of the areas in which, when I was listening to Mark speak, that was reoccurring in my mind where we do this, have this dialogue with Jesus, and he says one thing, and we're like a whole nother wavelength, is often in prayer. Sometimes we don't listen to ourselves and what we pray for. We just kind of word vomit and give God all this prayer, and then we don't listen we don't hear what he's saying. We don't make time to hear what he's saying. And then often when he does say something, we turn right back around and try to put it right back into our realm. But the thing about it is that when we pray and when we communicate with God, it's for us to unbear our burdens to him and then to turn around and hear his heart and mind for us and the very situations that he put us into the middle of. So I urge you when you go to prayer, Think of this woman sitting by the well, wanting water, but thinking nothing but physicality. And the Lord is telling us that when you come to me in prayer, you will find peace that passes all understanding. That's not peace for your situation. That's peace for all. That's peace for everything. Your situation is just small. Your situation is minor. It's big, yes, but it's small compared to the totality of everything. So I urge you when you go to prayer, listen to God. Don't try to tell him what he's saying. Let him tell you what he's saying and take time to listen. Would you all raise your hands for the benediction? Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, let the church say, Amen, Amen and God bless you.